Have you noticed that when people place their faith in Jesus Christ, they don't all of a sudden transition into heaven? Have you noticed that? Uh, and if that was the whole goal, that we would be like Jesus and move to heaven when we die, it seems that he would speed up that whole dying thing for us. But instead, he leaves us here for a lot of years, um, some of you, and some of us are hoping to be left here a lot of years. And there seems that there should be something that we should do with those years. Now, one thing that I want you to hear, do not feel guilty. Okay, don't feel guilty because guilt is never an emotion that causes you to make good choices. Guilt is never an emotion that helps you make the wise choice. You never do things wisely, well or right when motivated by guilt. Okay, so if you're feeling guilty, stop it right now. Um, That's not the point of this series. It's not the point of any of these messages is to feel guilty. Rather, it's just to open our eyes to what does God want to do in this world? And what does he want to do in this world through you and through me? Okay, so let us pray before we have this morning's message. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I've been at this pastor gig for a while now. Uh, here in Ray, I've been, this is beginning of my ninth year of ministry as a pastor, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. Um, and I have been a youth pastor prior to that for about a decade. And so I've been in ministry for nearly ew, two decades. It freaks me out to even say that a little bit. Um, definitely don't feel old enough to be in ministry that long. But in those two decades of ministries, I have had many, many, many hard and difficult conversations with people. People who come in and they say, hey, I need help in my marriage. Hey, I need help uh, in my uh, relationships with my children. Hey, I, I need some help in growing in my relationship with God. I, I need some help because I'm dealing with an addictive pattern or behavior in my life. I need help, and it goes on and on and on with these different requests. But in two decades of ministry, you know what nobody's ever walked into my office and said? I need help because I'm greedy. No one in two decades has walked into my office and said, I need some help because I'm greedy. Now, you might think, well, of course not. That'd be weird for somebody to walk in in your office and say, I'm greedy. However, Many times people come in and they say, I'm struggling with some sexual sin in my life. There's my husband maybe is struggling with sexual sin in his life. There's been an affair. There's adultery, pornography, all these different things around this idea of lust. But did you know the Bible has a lot more to say about greed than it does with lust? It has a lot more stern warnings with greed than lust. And that's partly why I feel this is a great time of year to look at some of these issues. And this is why Advent Conspiracy is so important for us, the church, to participate in. Because one thing that we've all bought into, me included, is stuff will make you happy. Is that you need bigger and you need better. 
We have this television. It's made by NEC. I don't know who that stands for, but I'm sure it's overseas someplace. And it's this big four by three. So it's the old kind of square type of television. And it's huge. It weighs a ton to move the thing around. The other night we were watching a DVD and it all of a sudden turned off. I got to be honest, my heart skipped a beat. I was excited. Oh, I can get the bigger, better TV now. Because I've resolved to try to wear it out before buying the bigger, better. I'm getting tired of trying to wear the thing out. But I, we live in a culture now, don't we, where we replace things before they're broken. Because there's bigger and there's better. And I want this TV to die. So can I, I can at least say, well, I waited till it died. Now, I don't know how you've handled those things in your life. For me, I've just decided it's kind of a game almost at this point for us. You know, I want to, I leave it on for hours on end, just seeing if it'll keep going. And it's frustrating that it hasn't died yet. I mean, there is some kind of game there. I even encourage the children to roughhouse around it. Maybe somebody's head will go through the television. Oh, that'd be bad. Um, a foot, maybe we'll go through the TV and then we'll get the, get the nice big new TV. But in my life, I know that I love stuff. I do. I love things. I love guitars. I, I love music. I love sound. I love technology. I love computers. I love TVs. My guess is you love stuff too. Maybe I didn't name the stuff you love, but my guess is there's some stuff that you love, and, and that's not wrong. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not love stuff. But it does challenge us about being greedy. Now, the weird thing with greed is you never know when you are, right? It's easier to see in other people than ourselves. It's always easier to see greed in somebody else than in ourselves, Like Donald Trump, for instance, right? If you watch The Apprentice, I love watching The Apprentice because it just is so cutthroat and I don't get that world. And it's so fascinating that these people are just willing to, as they say, throw each other under the bus. And it's just amazing to watch this. It's amazing to watch how greedy and how money can divide people, how greed and money can just destroy relationships with people. I love watching that. <laughs> Glad I'm not participating in it because... I'd get thrown under the bus really fast. But it's fascinating to watch. And it's easy to see greed in other people. It's easy to see it in our kids, isn't it? It's easy to see it in other people's kids, if you can't see it in your kids. It's, e it's easy to see it in our spouse. And it's easier to see it in all those people than it is to see it in us. So what does the scripture say about greed? What are we supposed to do when we find out there's some greed in us? And what are we supposed to do about these things? Well, Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 12. He's speaking to a group of people and he's interrupted. So if ever you think, I just need to interrupt the pastor, there is precedence. People interrupted Jesus as he was talking. Uh, but you probably wouldn't throw out this interruption. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> that's a really funny interruption, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's somebody who's really sick of dealing with that issue. How many of you ever had this problem? No, no, no show of hands. Anybody ever had this problem uh, with inheritance issues? 
or know somebody who's had problems with inheritance issues. Here's some guy struggling with who gets what and how much of it. And he says, tell my brother to, to divide it with me, to share it with me. And, and then it goes on. And Jesus says, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, isn't that a weird sentence that he says? You, and maybe it's not weird to you because you heard it said before and it's not surprising. But did you see what he says there? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I thought there was just one kind of greed. But Jesus says that there's all kinds of greed. There's all kinds of different ways to be greedy. You can be greedy for more money. You can be greedy for the corner office. You can be greedy for a bigger house. You can be greedy for another car. You can be greedy, greedy, greedy in all sorts of ways. And Jesus is saying, be on your guard against it. You see why Advent conspiracy is so important for us this time of year? I've been watching TV a little bit on my old TV because I'm getting it, trying to get it to die, right? And so we were watching it, not just having it run in the background, but I was watching it. And there's these Alexis commercials. Have you seen the Lexus commercials that come out around Christmas time? <laughs> What's up with the Lexus commercials around Christmas time? I mean, that's an amazing gift. You know, $35,000, $45,000 vehicle to give to somebody who probably already had decent transportation, right? I mean, this is the myth. It's the lie from our culture of bigger and better. And I'm not trying, if you bought somebody a Lexus, good for you. Praise God. Wonderful. I'd love one too. If you bought somebody a Lexus, I'm not trying to pick on you. But have you seen the latest one? I wish I had it on, on a clip. I looked for it on YouTube. Apparently nobody's recorded it and put it on YouTube yet. But they have this dude and he's got this 19-foot Christmas tree in his house. And, you know, it's super wide. And he's like, yeah, it's a 19-foot Christmas tree. They've got this gal who has an actual live reindeer in her yard. And, and it's got a guy who's got this, you know, crazy-looking gingerbread house that's a, a modern 60s design uh, uh, gingerbread house. And then Lexus says something about the season of excess. And then they're trying to get you to buy their car. The season of excess. And our culture wants you to believe that the season of excess is okay. And Jesus here says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For instance, the season of, Lex, of, of excess. I was going to say Lexus, right? Be on your guard. Now, parents, you and I have a role in helping guard our kids' hearts. Because the TV is screaming out to them every day, all day, you're not happy. You need more. You're not happy. There's better things. Did you see what Tommy has? He's got something better than you. Go tell your mom. Go tell your dad. Have them get these things for you. Mom and dad, you need help guarding your heart because the TV is yelling at you 24-7 saying, if you had this, you'd be happier. If you had that, 
everyone would think you are the coolest person in Ray, Colorado. All the time we're being bombarded by these lies and Jesus says, watch out. It's interesting. He doesn't say, turn off the television. Of course, they didn't have them back then. But he doesn't say, you know, stay away from stuff. He doesn't say, don't get some stuff. Don't have things. Don't make any more money. Quit your job. Become poor. He just says, watch out. Keep your eyes open. Look for greed in you. Look for greed in you, says Jesus. Well, um, he goes on and he tells a little story, as Jesus always does, because stories we remember, right? We remember stories. And so Jesus tells a story about a farmer. And he says this. Whoops, he didn't say that. That's a good quote, though. The essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. In case you don't know what greed is. The essence of greed is keeping the resources God brings your way for yourself. Now, it's okay to keep some of those for yourself, right? But we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells that helps us understand what greed looks like. Because that's what he was trying to do, is illustrate what greed looks like. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. What yielded the abundant harvest? The ground. So right off the bat, Jesus is trying to set up the stage for us to realize that sometimes it's not a result of hard work. Sometimes it's the result of God's blessing. In fact, all the time. Because God kept you healthy enough to get out there to work the ground. Because God brought rain at the right times to hit the ground because God gave you the right temperatures so that the stuff would grow and so that you would have an abundant harvest at the right time of year. You have less control of your life than you think. You see, the interesting thing is if you were born in, in, in Africa, no matter how hard you worked, you would make less than you make now. That's just the reality of it. And you'd had nothing to do with where you were born. And if you had been born in Africa, you would make less, even if you work harder than you do here. There's just not opportunity. There's just not jobs. There's not industry in Africa like there is here. So we got to keep in mind, and Jesus is setting us up to keep us in mind, that it's the ground It's God's blessing that gives you what you got. He thought to himself, this farmer who had too much. Go, There we go. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is a great problem for this farmer. All of us want this problem. Uh, He thought to himself, what shall I do? And then he said, what, Sam? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. That sounds wise, doesn't it? I mean, what's this dude's problem? Why is Jesus down on big barns full of grain? What is the problem? Why does this make Jesus upset? Well, let's keep reading. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He's just retiring from farming. Why is Jesus upset about a guy retiring from farming? What is the problem with this? Keep going there, Sam. 
Whoops, <laughs> that's another passage. The problem is this. Jesus really doesn't tell us. He says that your soul is required of you that night. And I left that scripture out. Your soul is required of you. Jesus calls the guy a fool. You see, many of us think that if we can just get enough, if we can store up enough, then we'll be set. And it's a lie that we've told ourselves. It's a lie that the culture tells us that if I just have enough. John Orberg said it really well. He said, uh, which one of these guys has enough? The man with a billion dollars or the man with 12 kids? The correct answer is the man with 12 kids because he does not want any more. You see? You see, the guy with a billion dollars wants some more. The guy with 12 kids, he's done. It's enough. And the problem with us is we don't often know when enough is enough. It's our heart. It's in us to want more. In fact, in heaven, (laughs) I've been wrestling through heaven lately and the new heavens and the new earth because I'm a little worried that I'm going to be bored in heaven. Okay, this has been a, a problem I've had since I was small and they taught me about heaven at church and I am still a little worried about boredom in heaven. Because what am I going to worry about? What am I going to strive for? If I'm content, what is it? What? How do you live life if you're content? Because all of life is about, well, when we get to grandma's house on Thanksgiving and we finally get that, when next Saturday comes and we finally win the state title, when next year happens and we graduate all those kids, when next year, we're always looking towards the next, the future, what we're going to, what we're going to do, what our kids are going to accomplish, what our grandkids are going to look like on and on and on. We're always, what I do, do you feel it? I'm a little worried about heaven because what am I going to do? Sit around and be content? I don't know how to do that. Do you? Do you know how to sit and be content? You see, that's going to be our job in heaven. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, I have all I need. Thank you, Jesus, I have all I need. Thank you, Jesus, I have all I need. That's our job in heaven. We won't feel this desire for more, this desire for different, the desire for what's next. And I'm a little worried about what I'm going to do in heaven. Well, I think these are some great verses to help us deal with greed in our lives. If you're like me, there is greed in your life. And it looks in a myriad of ways. Paul is writing to these churches, uh, the Corinthians, and this is in 2 Corinthians And he has some words uh, about this uh, fundraising campaign he's been on. You know, churches are always on fundraising campaigns, right? And so Paul's on a fundraising campaign, and he writes about some folks who did a great job of giving. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
<laughs> what a weird problem the Apostle Paul had. He had poor people that wanted to give to the fundraiser that he was doing. And what did the Scripture say? It said people who were in extreme poverty. Do you know what this teaches me? You see, the antidote to, to, to greed, the antidote, excuse me, to greed is generosity. The crazy thing with generosity is that it's hard to see whether we're generous, just like it's hard to see whether we're greedy. I wish that I could stand up in front of you today and say, all right, if you give away, as they say in Islam, give away 2% of your net worth every year. Aren't you glad I don't say that? Give away 2% of your net worth every year and you are a generous person. That's what Islam teaches. I mean, you thought 10% of what you earn is bad, 2% of your net worth. Now, for some of us, that wouldn't be a big deal. But for others of us, that's a problem. I wish I could get up and say, if you give away 10%, you're a generous person. I wish I could say, if you give 100 bucks, you're a generous person. The trouble is, for a person who makes 10000 a month to give $100 away, that doesn't ter- look terribly generous. But for somebody who made $110 to give 100 away is crazy. And Paul says here that there's these people who were in extreme poverty and they gave all that they could and they even gave beyond their ability. What does that mean? How do you give beyond your ability? I know how you buy stuff beyond your ability. I know how to, I've done that. I know how to have more stuff than what I can afford, but to give beyond my ability? What does that look like? You see, he says that these people in extreme poverty gave beyond their ability. That tells us that you do not have to be rich to be generous. Now, we know this because we, if you're like me, you have some kids. And my kids can be generous. They can Bailey gives me amazing drawings. She gives me amazing sculptures for my birthday last year. She made me a statue of herself. Uh, it's, it's not out of marble. It's out of boxes and yarn and construction paper and those tubes that are in the middle of like a, a, a roll of paper towels. My daughter was very generous with her time and their talents and her resources to put this thing together to give to daddy. She was exceedingly generous. And she doesn't have to be rich to be a generous person. In fact, to be generous, you just have to be loving. In fact, Amy Carmichael said this about generosity. You can give without loving. But you cannot live love without giving. I think we all know that's true. You can give without loving. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'll chip in some bucks there, blah blah blah, get you off my back, get me out of my house. But you can't love without giving. When Bailey gave me that, <laughs> I felt really loved. I was also worried about where I was gonna place this thing in my home. But I felt very loved. Well, I think one of the keys for 
being generous, we see in this passage in 2 Corinthians, where it says this, And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. And then they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. You see, the way you defeat greed in your life is that you seek first God's kingdom, as Jesus put it. You give yourself first to God. You give yourself first to God. And then God will tell you what to give to. He'll lead you. He'll show you what he wants you given to. Here's what Paul then says, though. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. (laughs) The nerve of an apostle to know what everybody gave and then compare them to each other. (laughs) I hate that verse. That's an uncomfortable verse. And it's dangerous, isn't it? Because if we all start comparing what I gave to so-and-so and and what so-and-so gave and blah, 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 then we can feel either really, really good about ourselves We're really, really bad about ourselves. Right? And here the Apostle Paul is, he's comparing rich people, or at least relatively richer people, to the people in extreme poverty. And he is saying, hey, the poor folks are really given. How about you guys with a little bit more? Are you guys given? I mean, that's what he says, right? That's what the Bible's telling us here. Well, that can be dangerous to compare ourselves, but I just thought that was interesting. So, I love this quote. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. Remember my rope? Get a rope. Paste picante sauce. You see? You remember my rope? I like my rope. It's stuck. My rope is stuck. There we go. You should never give a city guy a rope. <laughs> See, this rope, remember? This red part is your life here on earth. That's your life here on earth. And, and the rest of the rope is you're going to be alive somewhere forever. Okay? And to be greedy during this part here shows that you don't believe in this part here. Okay? Uh, to, to grab hold of, hold on to, want all you can during the red part is to deny the white part. And the crazy thing that the Scriptures tell us is that we can store up treasures for the white part with what we do during the red part. Greed is saying that we believe this is all there is. Now, what I, what I hope we've wrestled through this morning and what I hope you're wrestling through a little bit today is how can I be more generous? And one of the ways that we've tried to, to encourage this is with our Advent conspiracy. Instead of buying a lot of fancy, expensive gifts for a lot of people, Maybe we spend a little less on Christmas. I mean, we still buy gifts because they're fun and, and they're meaningful. But maybe we ratchet it down some. Instead of participating in the season of excess, maybe we just kind of participate in the season of Christmas a little bit. 
And, and some of that money that we were going to spend on somebody else, we actually come and we give it to the poor. And we bless other people with it. And you see, why is that important? Because it's a working out of the gospel. It's a working out of the gospel in your life. It's a working out of God's grace in your life. Because at great expense to himself, Jesus, he came and saved you. He became poor so that you could become rich. He emptied himself of all that heaven had for him. And he came and was born a baby on earth and lived a painful, difficult life. It's called human. And he died for you and I so that we could be rich. You see, to demonstrate that we believe these things, to show the world that we follow Jesus and that Jesus is creating a counterculture for the common good, it's called the kingdom of God. We give. We give. So, I want you to wrestle through these things. I want you to be preparing in your heart what it is that you feel God leading you to do. How do you feel He's leading you to to combat greed in your life? How do you feel He's stirring in your heart and showing you maybe ways that you're greedy? I just hope and pray that we will all look at those things. Uh, Just a quick story about myself in that regard, because I try not to ever... uh, do, uh, encourage people to do things that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, I already confess that I'm, I'm not a very content person, right? And one of the things that I'm not ever really content with is guitars. And you know this, right? This past week, I, I did a Google search, guitar tone for worship, because I want to be a better guitarist for worship. Today was kind of mediocre because I can't hear anything. I found this website called Guitar Worship for, or Electric Guitar for Worship. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, I want to learn about this thing. And the dude was like, all right, first way to have good electric guitar tone is to have a good electric guitar. I'm like, all right, I probably have not a very good one. What is a good electric guitar? He had three tiers for brands and quality of good electric guitars. As far as I can tell, the entry point of the first tier is about 500 bucks. I know, I don't have a very good guitar. And at the top end, the expensive end, as he called it, you got to have about two grand to enter into the sweepstakes for good electric guitar tone. So if you're looking for somebody to give to at Christmas time this year... But do you see what that guy did? Do you see what that stupid Google search did in my heart? Your guitar is not good enough. That's why you can't play well. (laughs) It's the guitar. You see why I don't play golf? The reason you're not good at golf, Steve, is you don't have good clubs. You see why I don't have many hobbies? Hobbies are expensive. And we all know this. But I challenge you, find those lies in your life that are telling you that you don't have enough, that you need bigger, better. 
And start asking God, how, how am I supposed to live life in light of this greed that I'm finding in me? Would you help me be a person that realizes it's enough? It's enough. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance as we seek to live lives that are not greedy. Lord, I pray that we would, we would not judge others as we never know. We would look at ourselves and we would wrestle through whether we are as generous as you would have us to be or not. Forgive us when we just think that you've given this stuff for ourselves. Open our eyes to the many things we can do with what you've given us. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you be grateful and thankful this Thanksgiving season. May you turn that to generosity. Amen.